0: Who was the brother that, was it you that closed part of that? Dear brother, I don't think we should do any job by half, do you? Would you close the other one too? I wish my, my heart were as tender as the rest of me, but I could feel that window open way over there. And uh, if any of you should be cold next to a window, I'm sure we'd want you to make sure that you're comfortable. I'm so glad that Brother Jordan is going to be your daily uh, Bible Hour speaker this year. And I'm going to ask you, uh, only about a month before the conference began, we lost our business manager, Fred Swanson. His wife had been really seriously ill for so long, and then his mother in and out of the hospital, and it was a little too much for him, and he felt he should resign and he did but we've lost a business manager so Brother Jordan had to take over most of that and that's a big job. Then we had to get ready for this convention and what do you think just the week before this convention you guessed it the IRS came to visit us and I tell you they go into everything day after day they don't stop it can be very frustrating sometimes I'm sure they're doing a job they need to do. But I know this, Brother Jordan was very tired when he came here. I was a little bit tired myself. But pray for him. He's going to be speaking every day. Pray the Lord will give him the strength and especially the power of the Holy Spirit. Brother Jordan has been a great help to us and to me personally, but that doesn't mean that everything's fine. I tell you, you know the word Jordan and baptism are synonymous. They go right together. And then when I read in the Bible the other day that all the people came to Jordan to get baptized, that really worried (laughs) me. (laughs) But uh, that's just a little aside. We do thank God for Brother Jordan. Now, uh, the book on Romans is out. I wonder how many of you have them already. Raise your hands, will you? Oh, boy. Uh, Maybe I shouldn't mention them, but there are some don't have them. And uh, this is a commentary, I hope, if the Lord will let me live that long, the first of a series of commentaries on Paul's epistles. This is the first one, and uh, I love the frontispiece piece by our own uh, Bernadette Russell, Mrs. Russell Miller. It's uh, Paul dictating to Tertius, a beautiful thing, and I love those opening words. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God called to be saints grace to you and peace from god our father and the lord jesus christ well i hope that book will prove a real blessing to you i'm not going to tell you the price because you will not be disappointed when you see it if you know anything about books our our great commission we've just uh, agreed with our in our board of directors meeting we're going to send 500 more copies out free of charge to ministers We've had some real good responses from ministers who have been flabbergasted as they just read for the first time what the commission says and what it doesn't say. And uh, we feel the Lord's given us a real ministry in that book. So you pray. We have them back there for you if you'd like to have one. But pray as these go out to more ministers again that God will open their hearts. Then there's one here just out, a booklet, a 40-page booklet, uh, it's uh, a combination of several articles that were written in the Berean searchlight and it's called God and Man and beloved I feel very strongly that every one of you ought to have a copy of this book I think it's 35 cents if you can't afford it tell the girls they'll give you one <laughs> but uh, I'll read the opening I think we have to stop where apostasy is concerned and um, Uh, talking sadly about it in quiet tones. I think we ought to stand up and be counted in these dark days. Here's how the book starts. Call it madness. Call it blasphemy. Call it ignorance. Call it uh, arrogance. Whatever you call it, call it wrong, dreadfully wrong, for man ever to be tempted to think that he is but little lower than God Most High nearly equal with God, and call it doubly wrong for him to alter the Scriptures, to change the Bible, and then call God to witness, uh, and contend that the Bible says that man is only a little lower than God Most High. And that's just a tip of the iceberg. Say that it was a nice man, a good Christian man, a very scholarly man who said it it is still wrong and blasphemous to make man nearly equal with God. Marshal your list of translators and scholarly authorities to prove your point, but you will only compound the wrong. For what sincere believer uh, 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 who has no axe to grind and no institution or reputation to uphold What sincere believer, knowing what the Bible says about God and man, would want to believe that man is but little lower than God most high? My friends, this is nothing small. This is a serious thing. Another generation, and those that come from that organization, will be modernists, put it down. They'll be liberals. That's the way it's going right now. Just very recently, one of them said, oh, the mystery. That's old hat now. They're in the middle of the stream, and the mystery is old hat. God forgive us, forgive them, and help us to stand. This is something worth standing for. That's why the Berean Bible Fellowship was formed, and we want you all to know it. Well, I better not speak too long on books and this, (laughs) or we won't be speaking on our subject for tonight. But one more thing before I left, our Chuck Milkovich, who runs our line machine, said, Mr. Stamm, I can't be there, but I'd like to do something nice for the people. What could I do? That's like Chuck. I said, well, I don't know. He said, I thought, could I maybe buy 500 copies of Simple As Can Be so that they all can surely have one? I said, that'd be real nice. So back there among the free things, uh, Simple As Can Be. If you haven't read it, I think perhaps you should. It's a gift from Chuck Milkovich to you. Now then, can we turn, please, to Ephesians chapter 6? And I feel like Brother Johnson, he felt he got the best, uh, he was assigned the best topic. I'm glad that I've been asked to speak on this topic, the mystery of the gospel. Let's read together, please, Ephesians 6, beginning at verse 19. Paul asked for prayer for me, he says in verse 19, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I an ambassador in bond, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Well, we, I think most of us here, I hope all of us, but certainly most of us here know this, that Paul speaks in his epistles again and again and again about what he calls the mystery. He says that is the theme of his message. It is the gospel he proclaims. Isn't it sad and almost unbelievable that 1,900 years later, men are standing in the pulpit to preach and don't even know what the mystery is seldom even mention the word and when they talk about it they show that they don't know. A friend of mine went to a pastor some time ago and showed him Ephesians 3.9 and asked him what do you think about this verse? What do you do about it? Paul said it was his passion to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. And you know what the pastor did? He said wait a minute let me see that let me see that. And the man put it closer to him and he said Oh, my goodness. Fellowship of the mystery. Fellowship of the mystery. Say, that's a catchy phrase, isn't it? I think I'll speak on that Sunday. (laughs) I think he should have studied about it for many, many a moon. He didn't know what it was. And most fundamentalist preachers today don't know what the mystery is. And yet to many of us here, it has become the most precious truth. And I said to a friend of mine sitting at the table just yesterday, I have been in this now since I've been a boy, and I'm now 73. It's been almost 50 years since I learned about the mystery, and I have never gotten over the thrill of it. Talk about old hat. It certainly is an old hat to me. It's a thrill every time I see. It's like a girl sat in one of the meetings I was speaking at some time ago. She was sitting right on the front row. And you know what she was doing? She didn't hear a word I said. was looking like this and smiling you know that young man had just proposed to her and she had just said yes and he had put a ring on her finger with a diamond in it and no matter how she looked at that diamond it sparkled And you know how that's how it is with the mystery revealed through the Apostle Paul no matter how you look at it what aspect of it you consider it really sparkles it's a thrill to go into that message further and further and more and more. Now, I'd like to bring out first this great fact, that the mystery was Paul's gospel. The mystery was Paul's gospel. I say that because even some dispensationalists say that first in the early part of his ministry, Paul preached a kingdom message, largely for the Jews, and that he received the mystery, the truth of the mystery, at or after Acts 28. And I'll tell you what verse they mainly base that on. Turn with me, please, to Acts 26. Acts 26 and verse 22. Now here Paul is... uh, Standing before Agrippa, and here's what he says: Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day, witnessing to both small and great, saying none other things than those which the which the prophets and Moses did say should come. I remember years ago when the leading well, we call them Acts 28 people in those days. When the leading proponent of this uh, movement was standing on the platform of North Shore Church in Chicago. He was just beginning to go into this kind of thing then. And uh, he entered right into that court scene with Agrippa and Paul and all the others. And he appointed himself the cross-examining lawyer And he had Paul there on the stand, and he was cross-examining Paul. He says, Paul, until now, until this day, what have you been preaching? And Paul says, nothing but what the prophets and Moses did say should come. He says, is that all? Didn't, weren't you acquainted then? (coughs) I'm sorry, weren't you acquainted at all then with the truth called the mystery? No, I preached nothing but what the prophets and Moses did say should come. And from all angles, back and forth and up and down, he cross-examined Paul, and it was finally agreed. Paul had preached nothing but what the prophets and Moses did say should come. Well, that was all fine for some people that were there that maybe weren't uh, too careful about being Berean, But when he got off that platform after that service, there were at least a half a dozen of us pastors around him. said, why didn't you quote the next verse? You know very well that Paul preached many things before that day that the neither the prophets nor Moses had said should come. He taught the truth of the one body, Jews and Gentiles, one body in Christ. He taught the blessing of the Gentiles through Israel's fall. He taught the truth of the believer's baptism into Christ. And we had perhaps... Uh, six or eight different subjects that Paul had preached on before that day that Moses and the prophets had said nothing about. Why we said didn't, now I'm going to read to you the next verse. Nothing but what the prophets and Moses did say should come that, it's qualified, that Christ should suffer and should be the first that should rise from the dead and show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. What Paul was saying there was simply, when I say that Christ died and rose again and wanted to show light to the Jew and to the Gentiles, I'm not saying anything else than their own scriptures say. Because you remember there were some Jews there uh, trying to get him into real problems. I wrote to Brother Welsh. Many of you have read some of Mr. Welsh's writings. He was a very godly man from England, but he was caught up in this. And again and again, he would quote the 22nd verse, but not the 23rd. One time I got his booklet, Dispensational Frontiers. He made Acts 28 the frontier, not the raising up of Paul, but the middle of Paul's ministry. And I wrote him, Brother, why do you quote verse 22, but not verse 23? That qualifies verse 22. I got back an almost one-sentence letter. Thank you for your letter, but he said, it is always easy to ask leading questions. Uh, God bless you or whatever, and he signed off. But that didn't answer. I said, brother, I wrote him again. And I said, that's not merely a leading question. It's a very important question, whether Paul, until that time, had preached only a prophesied message and had not preached the mystery. So that letter, I'm sorry to say, I received no answer. It was then that I wrote that answer to uh, the dispensational frontier. Now, beloved, the mystery was Paul's gospel from start to finish. When he first saw Christ, he saw him exalted far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. In Romans sixteen twenty-five, he says, Now unto him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery. And don't make that little and between there to mean addition. It doesn't. It's elaboration. My gospel is the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery. You surely know that great verse used again and again from Acts 20, verse 24 where Paul, uh, with great forebodings of terrible persecution to come, says, But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, that I might finish my course, that's the end, finish my course with joy, and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. He had only one gospel, It was the gospel of the grace of God revealed to him as a mystery by the glorified Lord. Look please back at just a couple of verses here, a couple of pages here, to Ephesians chapter 3. And if anyone uh, has the idea that the gospel of the grace of God is something different from the mystery revealed through Paul or to Paul, then this should certainly change that view. For this cause, this is Ephesians 3, the first three verses. For this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation, the giving out of the grace of God, which is given me to your word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery. Now there are three passages at least that say in so many words that make it clear that the mystery was his gospel. I want to ask you, what gospel are you preaching, Christian friend, even in your witnessing to others and beloved pastor friend? What gospel are you preaching? Are you preaching the gospel that uh, our Lord told the twelve to preach? No, you're not. Nobody fulfills the Great Commission today for the simple reason the Lord has made it impossible. Or are you preaching the gospel of the grace of God by that other apostle, the apostle Paul? If you're doing that intelligently, you are preaching that great body of truth revealed to Paul. The gospel of the grace of God, beloved, is not merely Christ died for you. Some people seem to think so. And day after day, week after week, year after year, the people come to church and this man may preach from the Old Testament of the Gospels or Paul's epistles or somewhere, but it will be illustrations and persuasions. Christ died for you. Do you know it is a sad thing if that message that Christ died for you should become boring and tiresome? But do you know it can? When the preacher thinks that that's all there is to the gospel of the grace of God. Oh, no, no. That is the basis of it. But there is infinitely more to the gospel of the grace of God. And that brings me to the next fact about the mystery. There are many phases to the truth of the mystery. If I may say it in this way, there are many associated mysteries belonging to that great body of truth. And Paul sometimes We'll designate them by the words, this mystery. First, let's turn, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and the first two verses. <clears throat> Let a man so account of us. I love that phrase. I want that to be true of me. I hope you're, if you're a pastor, you'll want it to be true of you. I hope this is how you want to be known. Some people, they tell it like it's a secret, you know, a clandestine thing. I know a minister years ago. He, w- he would go to other ministers and tell it to them in sort of a, a secret between you and me, but don't, don't let's talk too much about it. It is hated on every hand, you see. No, no. Paul says, let a man so account of us as the ministers of the servants of Christ and stewards. Now, that means this is the, the, the senior servant that had great responsibilities committed to his trust. That's what a steward is. Now, he says, we're stewards. We want to be known as stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Now, notice especially... We are stewards of the mysteries now, plural, the mysteries of God. I have in my library a book entitled The Mysteries of God, founded on this verse. Ah, but he understood Paul, the writer understood Paul uh, uh, erringly, mistakenly. He began with the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven and got mysteries in various parts of the Bible. Paul didn't mean that. Oh, no. These mysteries are parts of the great mystery revealed to him. And he makes it clear again, I say unto you, by the word of the Lord, and what I gave to you was revealed to me, and so on. But may God help us to be stewards, faithful stewards, of the mysteries of God. Now we're going to go into some of these mysteries and then finally the secret of it all. First turn please to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11 and verse 25. I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, this secret, lest ye should be wise in your own conceit. That blindness in part, has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in, or the full complement of the Gentiles become in. And so, all Israel shall be saved. And he goes back from the mystery back to prophecy again. God hasn't forgotten his word. God is not going to break his promise. All Israel shall be saved. This is my covenant. This is what I've written. All Israel will be saved, but first, I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, that for this time, for a season, blindness has overtaken Israel until the full complement of the Gentiles become in. Now this chapter is full of that. Here we have what the prophets and Moses never talked about, the salvation of the Gentiles through the fall of Israel. All uh, prophecy had spoken of the blessing of the Gentiles Through the rise of Israel. You know Isaiah 60. The first three verses. Rise and shine for thy light is come. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. Darkness shall cover the people and the earth. But uh, his brightness. I've missed it a little there. His glory shall shine upon thee. And kings shall come to thy light. And Gentiles to the brightness of thy rising. That's prophecy Israel will rise and become the greatest nation on earth and the Gentiles will be blessed through her ah but not now Paul says I want you to know this mystery I don't want you to be ignorant of it that now we have salvation through the fall of Israel we saw the 11th verse look at the 12th verse if the fall of them be the riches of the world the 15th verse The casting away of them there he calls the reconciling of the world. And that is exactly what is happening today. And Moses and the prophets never said a word about it. As part of the glad news through the chief of sinners saved by grace. Israel had rejected Christ. Saul of Tarsus was leading them. They had rejected him even in his resurrection. Saul was leading them. Ah, and God let them fall but through their fall he says to, to Paul go and tell them go and tell them that I've concluded them all in unbelief as I cast the Gentiles away so now I've cast the Jew away that I might have mercy upon all Romans eight thirty two. well turn to Colossians please I think this naturally leads us to what we read here in Colossians 1 27 again this mystery Uh, I'll read verse 26 also he speaks here about the mystery which has been hid from ages and from generations but now is made manifest to his saints to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory Of this mystery, which is Christ in you, in you Gentiles, the hope of glory. Now, beloved, according to prophecy, it was going to be very different. Read Acts 15 and all verses 8 to 10 in there, uh, where he says again and again and again, Rejoice ye Gentiles with his people Israel. That's the theme of it all. And in the millennium, that prophecy is going to be fulfilled. Israel will be saved. The blessing will flow to the Gentiles. And in that great kingdom reign of Christ, the Gentiles will rejoice with God's people Israel. Is that what's happening today? Are the Gentiles rejoicing with his people Israel? Where did you go to get saved? To a synagogue? Where did you go to find Christ? to a synagogue, oh, you'd never find him there. No, you went to a congregation that was practically all made up of Gentiles. In this book on Romans, I wrote about a pastor I sat next to at one time, and he said, you know what, we have a a family of Jews, a, a Jewish man and woman and his children, whatever, in this church. Just one little family of Jews, and it's something to talk about, you see. Oh, no. Now we rejoice in this mystery among the Gentiles. God had kept this secret. He kept it hidden through ages. But he says now he's made it known. And he wants you, saints, to know what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. If the millennium had come, if Israel had accepted Christ and the Gentiles had then been blessed, and they had rejoiced with his people Israel, that would be the fulfillment of prophecy among the Gentiles, wouldn't it? This is this mystery among the Gentiles that you're enjoying right now. And I think we ought to be so grateful, beloved, that Sunday after Sunday we can go to houses of worship and meet with other Christians and sing and pray to whose God? The God of Israel. Now he's our God. Uh, to, to whose Messiah? Well, he was Israel's Messiah, but they didn't accept him. Now he's the head of the body, the head of the church. He's our head. You see, that's this mystery among the Gentiles. Turn, please, to Ephesians again, and let's go now to Ephesians uh, chapter three and uh, verses six and nine. <clears throat> We just read the first three verses about this mystery. Verse 5, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. It's not the Old Testament prophets. These are prophets that now had it revealed to them. They were the prophets, for example, at Corinth, where they had many of them. It is now revealed to them by his Spirit. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs. It's that Greek word, uh, a, a prefix soon there, S-U-N. Fellow heirs, that is, uh, a joint heirs and of a joint body and joint partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. I want to ask you this. He says this is a mystery. That Jews and Gentiles who believe are made a joint body in Christ. Yet, he says, we're made partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. What promise is he speaking about? Some have said, well, that's that first promise in Genesis 3. No, it isn't. Some have said, well, it's the Abrahamic promise. No, it isn't. Some have chosen other promises from the Old Testament. No, it's not any of them. It's his promise in Christ. Let's look at that a little if you have a moment. Well, I've got you here a prisoner unless you want to walk out. So uh, if you'll bear with me a moment, let's look please at Titus. Titus chapter 1 verse 2. In hope of eternal life which God that cannot lie promised. When? Before the world began. Or make it ages, that's all right. Before the ages began. Who'd he promise it to? Not the angels, it had nothing to do with them, or it was a lesson of them, that's all. He didn't promise it to men, there were no men yet. Who did he promise it to? Himself. Didn't you ever make a promise to yourself? I have. God said, I'm going to do this, he promised. He Nobody else, nobody greater could have made the promise. God. He could not have made the promise to anyone greater. He made it to himself. He could not have made a greater promise. He said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to save those poor wretches. I'm going to save those miserable sinners just by grace. And he made that promise in Christ. It was Christ who was going to come and die and shed his life's blood on Calvary to make this all possible, you see. You have it again in uh, 1 Corinthians and the second chapter. You know that passage around the 8th verse there, 1 Corinthians 2, and the 7th verse. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory. That's why he says in 2 Timothy 1, 9, that he saved us and called us, with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and his own grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus when? Before the world began. You see, that's the promise he's speaking about. Well, thank God for that promise and that we are made partakers of that promise. That promise that he made to himself when he said that even though Israel rejected him, in fact, because Israel did reject Christ, he would give salvation to the Gentiles through Israel's fall on the basis of what Christ did at Calvary. The blood that was poured out there, it was not for his own sins he died. God said, I'll reckon it to the account of those poor sinners. Thank God for that. That's that high and holy calling that was promised to us in Christ Jesus before the world began and God says he wants us to know it. He wants us to understand it and to rejoice in it. Turn please to Ephesians 1. Now we saw here in chapter 3 that it was his purpose to make of Jews and Gentiles who would believe one joint and joint partakers of that great uh, eternal purpose, that promise that he made in Christ before the world of the ages began. But now I read something strange here in Ephesians 1. He calls this a mystery or the mystery. Ephesians 1, verse 9. Having made known unto us the mystery, the secret. Of his will, his plan, his purpose. According to the good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself. There it is again. That in the dispensation of the fullness of time. He might gather together in one all things in Christ. Both which are in heaven and which are on earth. Even in him. Well, I thought we just read that it was in this dispensation of grace that he is making Jews and Gentiles who believe one body. I thought that the kingdom dispensation comes after that. He's going to come and take us away and then he will reign and the Gentiles who are on earth will rejoice with his people Israel. What this he's talking about? God has made known the mystery of his will. That in the dispensation of the fullness of time. It can't be now. And I'm sure it isn't the the millennium either. It's past that. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, He might gather together in one all things in Christ. Both which are in heaven and which are on earth even in him. You know what beloved? This is, to me, a most most blessed thing. Someday, all are going to be gathered in one in Christ. Believers, in heaven and on earth, that's what it says. Those who belong to the body, those who belong to the kingdom, they'll all be one in Christ. And, uh, of course, it doesn't say those that are under the earth. You have being celestial and terrestrial. But it is only in Philippians 1, toward the end there, I beg your pardon, Uh, in in Philippians 2 wherefore God has highly exalted him you know that passage that it says and every knee shall bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father those in heaven those on earth and those under the earth but my friend that is not reconciliation that is subjugation God says they're going to bow to me someday down there the ones in heaven will rejoice to do it those on earth will do it with gladness. Those down uh, in subterranean areas where uh, those who are, who have rejected him, they're going to do it too. Someday, they're going to bow the knee to the one whose name they've often used in vain, whose love they have rejected and spurned. But here, this is different. He says he's going to gather to want together and want all things which are in heaven and which are on earth. By that time, they'll all be the saved, you see. But I thought it was just the members of the body. Don't you see, beloved, that what you have in the body today is a demonstration of the ultimate, that which is finally going to come to pass among all believers in Christ. Where is our oneness? In what does the oneness of the body of Christ consist? We're not one geographically. Some believers are in San Francisco, some in Hong Kong, some in heaven, some right here. We're not one geographically. We're not one physically. We're not one theologically There are too many differences between us. Here we try to get a meeting in the minds, but it's not always easy. In fact, it just hasn't happened yet. And that's why Paul says, Endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit until we come in the unity of the faith. You see, that is still future when we'll all see a light. Oh, there are other ways I could mention that we are not one. You know where our only oneness lies? In Christ. God ordained before the ages began, before this world was ever brought into being, that he was going to gather all these people, poor sinners in themselves, in one, in Christ. The only oneness, did you ever think this through? The only oneness there can be is in Christ. We're the only ones that with all our limitations, and though we have done even this so poorly, have taken, let our hair down, so to speak. We're the only ones that have admitted we're poor sinners, hell-deserving sinners, and have accepted Christ as our Savior, and there is our oneness in Christ. I don't know if I've ever told here, I've told it before, so don't stop me if you have heard it. Uh, this man, these two men, were sitting on the deck of a ship. One of them got up, he said, I think I'll take a little stroll, and he walked around the deck a few times, Then he stopped and just looked over the railing and there was another man next to him and they got to talking together and the next thing, they were shaking hands and and patting each other on the back and having the greatest time and finally the second man left and the man on the railing came and sat next to his friend again and his friend said, "I, I see you found somebody you've known. No, he said, I didn't know him. You didn't know him? No. He said, well, you you talk like you were old friends. Well, he said, we might have been, might just as well have been, we're both Christians. And the man said, that beats masonry, I tell you. (laughs) (laughs) It beats any union on earth. There is no union on earth. What union can you think of where there is really oneness? There isn't. And even our unity is only in Christ. But oh, thank God for that. The, the closer we live to Christ, the closer we're going to be together. The nearer we get to the center, to the hub, the nearer the spokes are together. And we may enjoy with thanksgiving to God that some may feel that they're enemies to us. We shouldn't feel we're enemy to anybody. Some may not like us. Some may hate us. Some may find fault with us. Some may laugh at us. But if they're believers in Christ, thank God we're going to be together sometime. I remember after the real onslaught between Ironside and O'Hare, Ironside came into a meeting where O'Hare was sitting one time. And there was a place open right behind him. And he sat there. He said, let's sit behind him. And so he went and with his friends sat right behind Pastor O'Hare. And he tapped him on the shoulder. He said, Harry. We're going to be together in heaven someday. And Harry said hallelujah for that. (laughs) And that's true. That's true. They fought it out doctrinally. Thank God by the grace of God. They both really trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. As Savior. Well that brings me to the end. Uh, Ephesians 6 again please. Ephesians 6. And uh, the 19th verse. I say it brings me to the end. The end of my time. I could, uh, how does it go in 1 Corinthians 15? There's another associated mystery. I tell you a mystery. Uh, I, I show you a mystery. I'm letting you in on a secret. We'll not all sleep, but we shall all be chained. Oh, what a wonderful, wonderful truth to rejoice in. But now we won't linger at that longer. I'm, I hope you're all rejoicing in the pre-tribulation, pre-millenarian, pre-millenarian return. Of our Lord Jesus Christ to take us to be with Him, it could happen before I'm through. Ephesians 6:19. Now look carefully. Pray for me, he says, that utterance may given be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery, the secret of the gospel. Now we've talked a good deal tonight about the good news of the secret. And all its angles, all its phases, all its associate secrets or mysteries. And now Paul says, what's the secret of all this good news? What's the secret of all the good news God has ever preached? How could God say to a sinner like Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation and, and I'm going to bless those who bless you and curse them? That, how could he preach good news to Abraham when Abraham was a sinner? He should have had bad news. God should have said to him, you've been a heathen, you've denied me, you've hated me, you've, you've ridiculed and, 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 and uh, uh, put me aside. But he didn't. He gave him good news. And, Adam, and uh, David, that sinner, how could God to the end of his life keep giving him good news? How could he justly do that? All you have is, in part of the good news, uh, Romans 3, 21 to 26, but now, The righteousness of God without the law is manifest. Verse 24, we're justified freely by his grace. How? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now here's when I get what I want to get out about the secret of the gospel. And we try to make it clear in that book, Satan in Derision back there. The secret of the gospel goes right to Calvary. That's where the center of it all is. That's why Paul's great message was also called the preaching of the cross. It shows Paul's message about the cross, not Peter's before that, but Paul's message about the cross shows what the cross accomplished. And you show me one of the items connected with the great mystery revealed to Paul that didn't come straight from Calvary. Justification by grace alone through faith, without the law, without works, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The great truth of the one body, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body, by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. And the time is gone, but I'd like to go into verse after verse after verse. Do it. You do it at home. And see what a great blessing you'll get out of that. And see how these glorious truths about our heavenly... Our heavenly position—he had to come down to earth and bear shame and 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 spitting and bleeding, so that we could be in heaven and sit at God's right hand. He had to take every curse upon him, that we might be blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. There, my friend, you have the secret of the gospel. And Paul says, "All oh, pray for me. I'm going to pray for you, my friend. I don't want to preach in vain." I don't want you to receive the grace of God in vain. I'm going to pray for you and I hope you'll pray for me. That we might indeed open our mouths boldly and make known that wonderful message, the mystery with all its various glorious aspects and uh, show it as the secret of all the good news that God could ever bring. May God bless this brief message to your hearts And may we, every one of us who know Christ, be determined that tonight will begin a new life for us, that we're going to begin more than ever to to search the length and breadth and height and depth and to see the glory of this great truth and tell others about it. And if you're not saved, oh, Calvary has done so much for you. We don't stand here and say, yes, it's on account of you he died. It was was on account of me, on account of you and you and you. But that's not the message now. He says, this is the gospel by which you are saved that Christ died and what's that next word? Say it louder. For our sins. For our sins. What a blessed, blessed truth. And that's just the basis I say. Paul tells us all that cross accomplished and we may sit back and rejoice in it and then get up and tell others about it. Thank you, Brother Wayne.